Dirty Linen's summer series continues with a story I wrote about a travel misadventure I had some years ago in Outback Australia. It's a story about a car crash and it got pretty hairy. Here it is. Hope you like it. You know how this ends. I got home alive. But when the car stopped rolling, heaved and then sat dreadfully silent and tangled way off the road, I hadn't known what was going to happen. We were three days into an outback road trip. I'd borrowed a friend's dinky four-wheel drive, loaded it up with stuff, my housemate Colin, his Dutch girlfriend Lotta and her friend Linda, and driven west, skirting Adelaide to spend the night in Ruffers Guts Port Augusta. Next day we'd driven 500 kilometres or so north till we hit Cooper Pedy. It's a gem and gimmick town, so hot that a lot of houses are hacked into the ground. We spent a day there, listlessly looking at opals and being hassled by bored locals, before pondering our map and choosing a dirt track, arrowing east into the desert. It was 120 kilometres to the next settlement, an Aboriginal outstation where we could camp and fill up on bore water. We were assured that the people there could point out the road onward to the Udnadatta track, which we thought we might follow up north to the Simpson Desert. We filled up with petrol and cool mints. I was driving and I was happy. This was the real journey, an empty rutted road, flat red desert left, right, in front and behind, and the wind pouring in the windows. Cole in the front seat talked expansively to the Dutch girls, explaining things I guessed he'd read on cereal boxes. I joined in. We were acting more Aussie than we'd ever been, breathing Vegemite and bush law. We told them how kangaroos were born and stories of explorers, mixing, if I recall, the adventures of Burke and Wills with the trials of Amundsen on his way to the South Pole. They probably knew better, having already told us at dinner the night before about the Federation of Australia, but they let us waffle on, our accents getting broader by the kilometre. I think I even said Struth, and I'm sure Cole said Fair Dinkum, things we'd surely never heard anyone say in real life. We were about an hour out of Coobapedi, halfway to the outstation, taking a sandy hill at 80 kilometres an hour when it gave way to a bend, invisible till it was upon us. The car started skipping sideways, nothing to do with me. I felt I was writing it, working with the skid like a true blue Aussie Sheila, when the steering wheel dialed out of my hand and in a blink the car launched into a roll. A big, skipping, jaunty roll. A twisty airborne roll. A double roll which went on for a long, long time and when it stopped we all breathed out and noticed that no one had died. Slowly we got out, very grateful, very scared. We picked ourselves out of the car limb by limb, counting to four and feeling lucky. We talked to one another, gathering brief facts, getting assurances that we were all indeed okay. Cole was the only one with blood on him, a cut leg, not too bad. The roof rack was 50 metres along the road, debris and our gear strewn along the ground in between. We sat on the ground, flattened by shock and the gravity of our situation. We were about 60 kilometres from help in either direction. We hadn't seen one other car on the road. We'd passed no water, no crossroad, no building, and certainly no emergency phone. I felt badly guilty, but was too scared to ask if the others all blamed me. Lotta and Linda were all for taking a bottle of water and walking back to town, but Colin and I talked them out of it, juicing up news stories about people in exactly our position who'd been found dead of thirst just out of sight of their cars. 
we said it was essential that we all keep together. We became organised in a mechanical kind of way. An inventory was taken. We had food for three big campsite meals, steak and potatoes and corn and pumpkin and puddings in cans. A bag of oranges, 10 litres of water, some biscuits, a wad of pot, cool mints. Water was the most serious problem. What we had might stretch for a couple of hot, thirsty days, but it seemed quite likely we could wait a week for a rescue car. So we started pissing in bottles, building up an emergency reservoir. Cole and Lotto wanted to combine our piss. Linda and I were all for four separate stashes. But our cup never threatened to runneth over. Cole was the only one who was able to catch much of his flow in the narrow-necked litre bottle we'd recently emptied of lemonade. I dug a hole in the lee of the car, scooping out hot sand and then cooler sand, almost wet. Could we wring out the sand somehow? Suck on it? I foresaw a dramatic death. Having lost my mind, troubled and forsaken, explorer style, I sucked on sand and choked. I surveyed the shimmering red plain. There wasn't even a tree on which I could carve my initials. As I continued to dig, images from a school camp came to mind. A bushcraft lesson in collecting water with a plastic bag, a leaf. Wasn't there string involved somehow? Then I looked at my thighs. Big Aussie hams compared to the Dutch girl's pegs and recalled a story about Antarctic explorers who'd eaten their dogs, saving their heads till last. Most nutritious, those vitamin-rich doggy brains. I should be eaten first, the guilty driver, the fleshiest. The Dutch girls were looking at me, not looking hungry at all. Of course, I said, we can collect water using leaves and string before we have to drink Colin's piss. Lotta and Linda looked fairly impressed. We put our food and drink into the hole and set about collecting some wood. There wasn't much of it, just scratchy saltbush twigs and stray wind-borne grass, but we put it all in a pile, which immediately blew away. We raced after it and chucked it into the car. Oh, the car. Georgie's lovely little city four-wheel drive, generously lent to us, to me really, and now terribly, terribly, undeniably dead. Cole and Lotta had taped garbage bags to the shattered windows and they thrashed in the wind. The car looked like a crippled metal bird, pathetically trying to fly away. Could we somehow make hot air balloons out of garbage bags, I wondered idly, a desert Houdini with mush for brain? We cleared the glass from the car, making a pile like a midden on the edge of the road. Now one of us could at least sit on the back seat as long as their head was cocked at 45 degrees and they didn't mind head-butting the splayed seat in front. I kept sneaking glances at the car, the rude canned shell of it. We all kept saying how lucky we were while peering hopefully and scared this way then that along the burning empty road. Colin and I levered the mashed bonnet open with a tire iron and peered inside as if it were an attic inhabited by ghosts. Like the very worst of backyard arse-up mechanics, we scratched our heads and muttered. I looked for the fan belt because I knew, probably from an episode of Neighbours, that it could be replaced with a stocking. A Dutch girl could surely be relied upon to have pantyhose. Unfortunately, the fan belt was intact, though the fan was leering wildly at the fuel pump and everything else seemed pretty bent out of shape. And, as Linda pointed out, it didn't much matter about the engine when anyone could see that the wheels on the left side of the car were flat to the ground while still being somehow attached to the axle. Maddeningly, the radio worked. 
Can't we swap the wires over and broadcast our location? I asked Cole. He looked at me witheringly. Maybe I'll just find the frequency and play an SOS on my guitar. All of us kept thinking we heard cars. The wind made shapes in the desert, rushing along corridors we couldn't see, slamming doors and scurrying up lonely looking birds. It sounded like trucks, cars, whole motorcades of illusion coming to rescue us at our brave little crash site. An orange was quartered and we ate it seriously, licking the juice that ran down our dusty arms. We'd crashed late morning and now it was late afternoon. Time we decided to get the tents up and think about dinner. Our recipe was Dutch discipline blended with faux Australian bush skills. Linda divided the food into nine doll's house portions and thought about meals which could be prepared with limited cooking. Lotta chopped the veggies into small chunks and hacked a steak into four meagre portions. Cole started a fire and Lotta and Linda whacked the food onto it. I found a rock and put it into the fire, then mashed up balls of flour and water to make chapatis. I felt quite the tandoori master till I rolled the rock out of the fire and it crumbled into steaming mud and clay, extinguishing fingers of precious fire in the process. I gathered up my sad little flaky discs and rolled them back into one single mass. Let's have damper, I said brightly, dumping it in the flames where the outside quickly charcoaled and the inside stayed resolutely gooey. Linda kindly decided this was dessert. We ate it, sprinkled with sugar, and soon all had stomach aches decent enough to distract us from our predicament. After an ominous sunset, it became cold very quickly. As we'd decided not to use the torch except in necessity, there wasn't much to do but lie with swollen stomachs in two tents. I hated myself, went to sleep and dreamt about when I was little and had a paper round and was persecuted by girls from the private school on my route. All teeth and pigtails, they stole my newspapers, hid my trolley and pulled my hair. This night I felt well deserving of punishment and woke up shivering in the night, scared, sad and lonely, fearing alley cats in prim blue and white check. My paper ad money had paid for a stereo which was still in my bedroom. I supposed my sister could have it if I died. I worried that I hadn't made a will. I worried about my parents reading my diary. I wondered how long it would be before people started looking for us. The morning dawned bleak and beautiful and hopeless. I got up, peeled off a sweaty layer and launched into a few yoga moves with what I hoped was optimism. Lotta and Linda were boiling up a billy for some tea and had laid out some cereal. Colin sat next to Lotta rolling a breakfast joint. You look like a tangled emu, Cole said helpfully as I sat in a complicated side twist which ensured sand lodged in my buttocks. Quite the naturalist, aren't you? I bit back, displaying a shameful lack of karmic alignment. I couldn't remember any more yoga, so I bowed in the general direction of the sun and went to sit with the others. I thought about making scones but couldn't find the flower and suspected it had been hidden from me, the damper villain. Fair enough. In a way, it was just like any camping trip with friends. We had camped in a stupid place, had all been bitten by things we couldn't see, and had the inevitable discussion about whether ants got hurt when they fell. Last time I'd debated the matter, I'd argued that ants could turn themselves into tiny parachutes, spreading their legs and touching down gently. This time, feeling death closer at hand, I leadenly insisted that many an ant suffered a broken back or a snapped leg in the tumble from human height to land level. 
The teasing wind car noises started up again after breakfast, and then, as ordinary as socks, a real van came at us from the right. First we watched it, blinking. Then we stood up and ran towards it, arms like windmills. It stopped. And a tall Aboriginal priest with silver hair got out and folded his arms. You all okay? He asked levelly. Yes, yes, we're fine. Not another one left in the car? No, no, just the four of us. Very lucky. Indeed. The rest of the day was all driving, cops, tow trucks and reconstructions. We booked a motel room for the night and bus tickets south for the morning. I practised a serious jaws of death tone of voice and planned my phone call to the suddenly carless Georgie. Struth. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.